Hi, uh, this is Seema Verman. I'm with uh, Scott Chera, and he's here to talk about his uh, tragic death of his daughter and what the protocols did uh, from the hospitals and the staff that caused uh, his daughter's death. So I'm going to let uh, Scott take over and tell us his story. Hi, Scott. Hi, how are you? Thanks for thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. Um, so tell me a little bit about what happened to your daughter. Well, great. Just a little bit about Grace first. Grace was 19 years old. She was, she had Down syndrome. She was extremely high functioning in that um, she could read and write, drive a car. Uh, there's almost nothing she couldn't do. Uh, she was um, she was a pretty special. Well, she was a super special kid. She had a love of the Lord that is um, second to nobody I've ever met. And uh, anyway, her. Her death has prompted uh, what I've been doing and what our family's involved with. And so we've been trying to share this message to help stop what's happening in the hospital. So what we've come to learn is what's what's happened to Grace is not an anomaly. It is becoming very quickly the standard of care. So what happened to cause Grace's death, I'm just going to go through a very short version because I know you're going to have questions about the bigger picture and, and we should discuss yeah. those. So Grace went into the hospital with low oxygen saturation last October, uh, specifically on October 6th. So she had low oxygen saturation related to COVID and, and the, the emergency room physician recommended that we admit her to the hospital. So in that light, at that point, we had no idea that the hospitals were not all of them, but uh, the majority of the hospitals in the United States have been bought, not legally, but practically through money uh, by the United States government. And, you know, so we just thought, you know, it's you trust the white coat. And they told us she'll be in here for three, four days. We'll give her oxygen and a steroid and she'll be home. Um, because Grace had Down syndrome, uh, I, I told them I'd be staying. And they objected, but ultimately said that I could stay. Uh, I was taken out. So this October 6th was the day in the emergency room. We got in, we were in the emergency room about 10 hours. And so on the 7th, we're in the room. The first day was about like what we expected. Um, I started to see things I didn't care for, which I just perceived as, you know, uh, poor customer service or poor care. So I was challenging uh, a number of things, but ultimately my challenging led to them taking me out by an armed guard on October 10th. Wow. So Sunday morning, the 10th, I was taken out during that window that I we didn't have advocacy. My wife couldn't come in because she had COVID. So my daughter, Jessica, became the replacement advocate. And, and during that window, which we didn't have advocacy, which was 44 hours, they, they did something that um, now when I've studied the records, you can see the, you can see the whole setup. And starting on October 9th, they started Grace on a sedation med called Presidex, which was absolutely not necessary. The only purpose of using Presidex is for the benefit of the hospital, which the hospital gets more money because the room, even though the care doesn't change and the patient doesn't leave the room, the room is now classified as ICU, so they get more money. You cannot take the patient out once they're on a sedation drug unless you sign sign away the uh, insurance reimbursement. So you, you 
because it's called against medical advice. So then in order for us to have gotten grace out, we would have had to take total responsibility for all the bills personally, which of course I would have been fine. I'd rather have my daughter. You know, we don't need money. We need need our daughter. Mm -hmm. uh, but the real reason they do it is because they want to have the ability to put in a ventilator at a moment's notice. And so they are constantly pressuring the family to put the patient on a ventilator. And so the patient has to be sedated to be on a ventilator. So if they sedate the patient and keep them sedated, as soon as their pressure convinces the family to do a ventilator, they can do it right away. And the vent and a, uh, the benefit to the hospital of a ventilator is huge. So a ventilator has a 90% kill rate. So that means nine out of 10 patients on a ventilator die in the hospital on the ventilator. Right, we should be illegal to use just on that should fact be, Just on that fact. And most of the ones who get out die in the first year because of complications related yeah. to the ventilator. But the hospital receives approximately $300,000 by putting the patient on the ventilator. And so it's a huge financial incentive to do something that's morally wrong. And in our case, we refused the ventilator request five different times. And it was, it was couched in a way that um, was you know, based on praying EY on your belief that the white coat is going to follow the Hippocratic Oath. So they would say things like, you know, we would like your pre-approval for a ventilator just in case. Right. And these type of things tend to happen in the middle of the night when we can't get a hold of the family. So these are the things that we heard trying to convince us to put Grace on a ventilator. And we never agreed to that. And ultimately, I believe that by not agreeing to that, they figured out a different way to kill her. And in fact, in April of this year, I had about 500 hours of research in Grace's case. And I concluded that Grace was... My belief is she was killed based on uh, premeditated murder. And I'm going to go through the last day here quickly so that that your viewers would understand why would I make such a crazy claim. So just start with me as a person. Of course, nobody knows me, but I'm very analytical. I'm not going to accuse the person of doing this until I know. And you know, when you go into these records, and I'm going to give you a brief synopsis of the last day but the things that i'm going through now are on grace's website so grace's website is ouramazinggrace.net and there's a tab called the tragedy tab and you'll see about 70 percent of the research that i've done is on the tragedy tab and i'm i call out the things that are speculative versus the things that are fact most of the things on that tab are facts pulled out of the medical records so on Grace's last day, do you have a question right now, Seema, or can I? Yeah, I was going to, um, first, I don't think, you, you know, you're crazy at all for, I think it's great that you're speaking out because immediately when this whole pandemic thing started, uh, especially when they were trying to do all the ventilators in New York City, I knew right then that they were going to be killing machines, especially knowing the fact that they were, you know, 90% death rate of just putting these things on. So. I've been kind of been active in trying to find other people to talk about this. So one of the things that I did with Dr. Artis, um, Brian Artis, he talked about the same sort of incentives with protocols that's designed to kill patients. And one of the things that, uh, that I did speak to him about was the drug 
remdesivir. And I don't know if that's the case where your daughter got that protocol or not, because that's was the sole drug of choice for anyone admitted for COVID. So she did not get remdesivir. And that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm uh, really active in telling the story because at the end they gave grace and you're going to hear this when I go through the last day, but they gave her what you would term as end of life meds. Um, somebody that would be in, um, or what is it called when, when uh, you're hospice. in hospice. So they'd give you uh, these end of life meds in hospice. And so once you know, my personal, so this is, this is my speculation is that once they realized they weren't going to convince my wife, Cindy and I to give them the authorization for a ventilator, they had to figure out a different way to take grace out. And this different way, the reason I'm sharing this is because this different way is the state sanctioned standard of care in the UK right now. And when I discovered this with Grace, I, I believe that Grace was the first case that was caught in the United States. But I would I believed it was way more rampant than just one case. And I have subsequently found out that's in fact true. You know, Grace's case has gone international. And so people are reaching out to us constantly. And now we've learned of many, many other cases that mere Grace's and, and several that are substantially worse. And it's not under the remdesivir ventilator protocol. It's under uh, a protocol to kill the patient another way. The hospice care, basically. Well, hospice care. And then another one that they're using is the um, death row care. So I don't know if you're familiar with this, but but there's certain states that, that kill death row inmates by lethal injection. And the there's... Uh, a published doctor's letter it's out on the internet now that a number of doctors wrote letters to these various states requesting their lethal injection drugs for their hospital systems so just think through what would be the reason for that right. and we had a lady a very specific one that my wife has got regular contact with whose down syndrome daughter was given an illegal dnr order just like was on grace along with these lethal injection meds. And um, so it's there's more ways than one that they're they're doing this. And you know, the the first people taken out in Nazi Germany were not the Jews. It was the disabled and the mentally ill. And of course we're seeing that now with with uh, the hospital killings. The the number one and number two causes of death for people who go into the hospital with COVID are elderly and disabled. Right. So those are not comorbidities, folks. Those are facts. They're not comorbidities. So you they, think it's just a financial incentive that's making them murderers, or are they consciously doing this, knowing that they're going to be killing someone? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. There's, Of course, the financial incentive is there, so that's how they can convince people to do it. There's a lot darker agenda than the financial uh, which is, a, you know, there's a, if you study Agenda 21 and Agenda 2030, you'll see that yeah. there's a worldwide um, desire to reduce the population. So that's the dark agenda. They're using money to to accomplish that. But your real question is, do the people on the front lines, do they even know it? Do they know what they're doing? Yeah. And I'll answer that question with a broad answer, because I, I can't answer that for certain with each person. Um, 
So I know the end game is when Jesus died on the cross, he said, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they're doing. So that doesn't make any sense to a human because the people who hung Jesus on the cross, of course they knew what they're doing. Yeah. So they forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Well, it's because they were possessed by Satan. And so when people are possessed by Satan, they're blind to what they're doing. And so you and I are critical thinkers. If I killed, if I'm in the medical field, in a hospital specifically, and I kill five patients in a row with remdesivir and a ventilator, my critical thinking is going to say, what's going on here? This obviously doesn't work. And then you dig and say, oh, well, the, the hospital is forcing us to do this. Oh, the CDC is telling us this is the, well, then I have a choice. I am going to either... Uh, challenge that until it stops. And if they're insistent that it's not going to stop, well, then I've got to leave my place of employment and become a whistleblower. I mean, that's what you do, right? Um, Normal thinking, godly person would naturally do that. But I think that's correct. the condition that we're at now because if, you're, if they're godless people, then the evil flourishes and they yeah. don't have that right and wrong. Well, that's a that's 100% right. And so frame this. So in the research I've been doing after concluding Grace's death was murder, that leads into this whole Agenda 21 and all of this thing. And ultimately, I came across some research that, that explains it. And so it's from Hannah Arendt. She, she studied the Adolf Eichmann trial and coined the phrase banality of evil. So banality means common. So evil is so common, we don't recognize it. So I'm going to just drill this down with, with the disabled and the elderly. So in our society, if a young person gets pregnant today, the doctor congratulates them, says, oh, congratulations, uh, you're pregnant. Um, let's schedule your amniocentesis. And of course, the insurance pays for that. Uh, they schedule it. And because they trust the white coat, right? We've been trained to trust the white coat. So then the, the amnio says your son or daughter is going to have a cleft palate. They're going to have this and, and, or they're going to have Down syndrome. 67% of Down syndrome children are, are already murdered before they're born in the United States. Many countries have eliminated them 100%. So there's already a mindset that these children with a dis disability are not worthy. Okay, so now let's do the same thing with, with the elderly. When somebody gets to be of X age, so you know the mom one day forgets to pick up her mail, the kids instantly want to put her in a nursing home because mom can't take care of herself. Uh, so these, this type of attitude towards the elderly and disabled has infiltrated our society and has become normal over many decades. That's the banality of evil. Evil so normal, we don't recognize it anymore. So now those same groups of people get into a hospital. What is the attitude of the people taking care of them? And that's rhetorical. But I'm going to tell you the attitude and drill it down very specifically. In 1963, the Milgram obedience experiment showed what happens. And so that was 1963. The morality of our country has gotten substantially worse since 1963. But in 1963, the Milgram obedience experiment had 40 people, 20 participants, 20 actors. The 20 participants did not know the other people were actors. So it was set up as a blind experiment. The actors were hooked up to electrical leads. 
Now, of I course, that one, yeah. it was all fake. It was all fake, but it doesn't it doesn't change the facts of yeah. the result of the experiment. And the participants were instructed to give the um, person a jolt, an electrical shock. If they answered a question wrong, if they answered six questions wrong in a row, the electrical shock was enough to kill the person. And simply by the instructor telling the participant to push the button, two-thirds of the participants gave the jolt that was high enough to kill the, the other person. So that's simply a fact based, you know, so that's our human nature without God. So now overlay the, that over the banality of evil, multiply that by 50 years, and what do we have? I mean, we have, hospitals have become killing fields, yeah. and people have no idea. So, I mean, that that is big time stuff, what I just revealed. Uh, no, I, I totally agree with you. That's what I've been noticing in the last three years that is like so dangerous now to get any care, even for smaller things. You know, they're, they're more apt to like uh, follow whatever protocol they were told. And especially CDC is now involved in like double checking to make sure somehow you fall into one of these categories and then they start initiating these deadly protocols. So it is a they don't have to. They don't have to double check. The categories are within a half a second after yeah. you check in because they're specifically taking out the people on Medicaid and Medicare, disabled yeah. Medicaid, Medicaid, the elderly on Medicare. So they don't have to ask your birthday. They don't have to ask anything. I know <laughs> they have everything these days. So, but right. that's the thing is like you know people aren't aware until they lose somebody or they get hurt medically themselves. You know so. What can we do as a society now, knowing, I know there's always going to be good and evil, um, but, you know, at this point, since everything is corporatized, you know, you have institutions to go buy your food, you have institutions to go get care, and you have another institution to go work. So it's it's like they're little buildings of that's blocking you, like as long as you, you know, you're in it and you're told what to do and how to do it, that's what you're doing, like herd mentality. But That's right. And, you know, so it's difficult to fight all the evil in the world. Um, but in your case, did you uh, take any legal action or anything like that to go after these people? So you're asking, you know, what can we do in the legal action? And, and I want to cover that. I just want to quickly go through a, just a couple minutes on Grace's sure. last day so people can get a perspective of how egregious this is. So the morning of Grace's last day, the doctor called my wife and I at 8 o'clock. Um, wanting a decision on a ventilator for the fifth time, we say no. He said, well, Grace had such a good day yesterday, we should start on nutrition. And Grace was malnourished because they refused to feed her, and they sedated her instead. They gave her a couple protein shakes, and you know that's, that's a different rabbit trail. So we foolishly agreed to a feeding tube. My daughter Jessica is there. Okay, there's a 14-year ICU nurse in charge of Grace's care that day and the day before. We know Grace had a good day in spite of being sedated. At this point, she's been on the sedation med for four days. The package insert says to use it for only 24 hours because it causes acute respiratory failure if used more than 24 hours. First cause of death on Grace's death certificate is acute respiratory failure, a direct cause for using Presidex more than 24 hours. And the hospital got a $7,500 bonus for listing that as the first cause of death. They got a $13,000 bonus for listing COVID-19 pneumonia as the second cause of death. So if that's not sick enough on its own, so Jessica said to the nurse that day she's going to take a shower. 
at right after we get off the phone with the doctor. And remember, the doctor said, Grace said such a good day yesterday. Okay, so just and so Jessica says, why? You let my dad take a shower when he's here. Well, I don't care what we did for your dad. You're going to, you can't take a shower here. So Jessica talks with Grace. Hey, Grace, is it okay if I go home? Grace is on her tummy at this point. And uh, Grace gives her the head nod. So Jess buzzes home, takes a shower. She just figures she's going to be there for a couple of days before Grace gets out. So, you know, so she comes back inside of an hour. She overhears the doctor, two doctors and a nurse in the hallway say, uh, we the family's not going to like this. So she said, what are they going to like? She said, well, we had to restrain Grace while you were gone, which means strap her down to the bed. So yeah. she says, what's the reason? Well, she wanted to get out of bed to go to the bathroom. Well, that's insanity. Yeah. So they strapped my daughter down to the bed and make her poop in the bed. One of the attorneys who reviewed this really clued me in on what's going on. He said, Scott, would this have happened to you? I said, absolutely not. I would have made the nurses do their job. But that wasn't Grace's personality. Plus, she had Down syndrome. She just was an obedient child. Yeah. So she lets them strap her down. So I looked up the doctor's records after that attorney challenge and found out that in the 22 doctor's reports written for the seven days Grace was in the hospital, they referenced the fact that she had Down syndrome 36 different times. They also referenced the fact that we're Christian, that we're not vaccinated, and that we're following yeah. the frontline doctor's misinformation campaign. So. Yeah. Those are all circumstantial evidence to the murder. Okay, so now by 1048 in the morning, Grace was on a dose of Presidex that was 14 times the original dose. Yeah. At 1125, they gave her a dose of lorazepam. At 1137, they do this feeding tube. The next thing that you would think, if the feeding tube was a legitimate thing, you x-ray, which they did right away, but they didn't check the x-ray until 159 in the afternoon. Afternoon. At this point, they have knocked Grace out. Remember, in the morning, Grace is doing fine. Yeah. By two o'clock in the afternoon, she's knocked out. At five forty-six, they gave her another dose of lorazepam. At five forty-nine, another dose of lorazepam. In the process, at two o'clock, they start feeding her. Well, now her blood sugar goes up. They give her insulin. Oh. At six fifteen, they gave her morphine on top of it. So those three drug combination in twenty-nine minutes: Presidex, lorazepam, morphine. Would have taken anybody out so you know now in order to it's so crazy considering that she only went in for you know a low oxygen in their blood which is a completely different therapy to oh, it's, insane. it's crazy the doctor had to order those meds the pharmacist had to sign off the alarm had to be overwritten and the 14-year icu nurse had to deliver those meds yeah. so now you look at that just that on its own would tell you this is premeditated murder but it gets worse jessica called panicking at 720 remember morphine at 615 so this is an hour and five minutes later she said dad she's got my wife and i on a facetime call she said dad grace's numbers are dropping like crazy i said get the nurses in she estimated 30 nurses in the hallway at this point because of shift change she said i've been trying they will not come in the room so wow. we start screaming save our daughter and they holler back she's dnr which means do not resuscitate. And so we holler, she's not DNR, save our daughter. We found out subsequently the doctor put an illegal DNR order on Grace eight minutes after they increased that Mosopressidex 14 times. So at 10.56 in the morning, you put an illegal DNR on her. So we watched her die at 7.27 on a FaceTime That's call. That's terrible. 
And to make matters worse, there was an armed guard standing outside, prevent, we presume, to prevent any nurse with a conscience to come in and save Grace. Wow. How we even got clued in on this is as my, the, our pastor was walking my wife out in a wheelchair after everything settled down and Grace was taken out in a body bag, one of the nurses had Grace's belongings and leaned down and said to my wife, um, me and several of the other nurses don't think Grace should have died today. And that opened up you know, what you're hearing me talk about now after 700 hours of research. You know, it, so, it, all of those nurses, the bodyguard and the doctors, they're all complicit because they all knew if you give that many drugs and they all know what those drugs do. So they were participating in the murder and letting it happen. Well, I, I can't see it another way at this point. Um, yeah. We'll see. And we're going to see what happens. I mean, you asked, are we doing anything legally? At the beginning, I did some investigation as to what you can do legally. Pretty much you can't do anything. And the reason is Grace is an adult. And so the, the main theory of a lawsuit is loss of companionship. By state statute, we don't have a loss of companionship claim. Uh, so then the next claim you is... Not the wrongful death. Yes, the wrongful death is... Um, unfortunately has a $750,000 limit um, based on the medical malpractice attorneys I've talked with, which I've talked with some real, real good ones. They say that there's only a one in 10 chance of winning. And the reason is, is because so I, the one I talked with, which I was referred to as the best medical malpractice attorney in Wisconsin, he said, let me give you an example. He said, I have a case where the doctor sewed up a sponge inside of a patient and we lost. I said, well, how could you possibly lose? He said, we brought 10 expert witnesses and they brought a hundred. Yeah, that's the problem with medical oh. cases is that it costs so much money to have different experts and they just cancel each other out. But obviously murder is still murder. I mean, what about like going to the attorney general's office and other agencies to stop this protocol? I can't comment about that at this point, but we do have um, another angle that we are pursuing. I, by God's grace, met Tom Renz in this process, and he has yeah. decided to take on Grace's case. And so they are literally working on the case right now, him and his team. We should have something definitive as far as how we're going to frame the case and proceed by the end of this month. That's um, great. So. I mean, I'm hoping something will come out because they haven't stopped, you know, so they're still doing right. it to other people. And Tom uh, convinced me to do do that because he said, Scott, this is the way we can stop this the fastest. So, and and they're very encouraging. They want me to be on as many programs as possible uh, to keep doing it this way, and um, and then they're going to work on the legal way because you know it's it's all the same goal. We want to stop. We want to stop this behavior. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is not so much the financial game but the, the criminality of this whole thing it's murder so right. states have to be able to go after doctors and staff for murdering you know especially when you can prove it's premeditated you know so that i'm hoping people will take up that challenge and go to their local district attorney or whatever and file actual criminal cases you know because once they start getting prison and you know people are actually getting prosecuted for this, that will change the protocols pretty quickly. Um, I, I agree. So, um, but as far as like the meds and stuff that she was on, you know, you mentioned that 
Was there any way for you to just say no to all of those incremental? I guess there was no way for you to just take her physically out of the hospital. Well, there would have, there would have been both of those things, but you, in order for you to say no, there has to be informed consent. So there was times there was informed consent. So at the beginning, the COVID expert doctor, who was extremely rude, but you know ultimately he said, "I want to try this drug on Grace called Toxilisumab." So I looked it up, and we have a doctor friend who helped me, and so we both looked it up and realized Toxilisumab. Uh, is not an is not a drug that we should use because the placebo group did better, um, according to the New England Journal of Medicine, and there's umpteen side effects. So then I share this with the doctor. He gets mad at me um, because you know they want to do the things that they get paid for, and yeah. so the times where there was informed consent, I said no. Of course, if we would have known, you know, every time that they mentioned a drug where they asked, I mean, I looked it up. But they never asked about Presidex specifically, lorazepam, morphine. We have no idea. Yeah. You know, so you can't say no if you have no idea. And then, you know, if we, of course, knew at the time that we could have taken Grace out, you know, if we would have known that the hospitals are killing machines, of course, we would have never checked her in. Yeah. Then even if it was such that we needed to check her in because things are so bad, we would have retained the right to take her out. But, you know, when they put somebody on a sedation drug, knowing that now it's to take them out, it's against medical advice. I mean, that's part of informed consent. But the the informed consent required by the Nuremberg Code, these liberals in charge, they think they can get away with this stuff because right, all, they have. So well, they have. I mean, this is how they always do it. They operate outside the the rule box that we've all agreed to operate in yeah. and then they wait for you to sue them and then you ultimately win but they've already done the deed yeah and you know a little bit of money payout and they had a lot of constraints even in med mal cases like limiting the payout and right. and making it harder to prosecute and every time you do those cases you know the cost is now astronomical because you especially if you're going against bigger companies they have unlimited resources to fight in their own that's right so it ascension, ascension hospital system is the system that grace was killed at they have 30 billion in cash reserves right so, so they don't care if they have few lawsuits to contend with I just wanted um, to run through grace's last day so people understand how egregious this is i mean this is um a sequence of events that at the beginning you know this will seem strange but you know, it's how, I, how naive I was as to what's really happening is we took all of this research we had at this point. Um, so roughly two weeks after Grace died, we had what we thought were all the records. Uh, we invested oh, probably 150 hours reviewing the records with a doctor, put together a complete summary, um, all the details, and sent that to the hospital requesting a meeting with the CEO and the doctor. We sent that on November 8th, Grace died on the 13th. And so we knew something serious happened, but we just assumed that they would want to know so they could stop it. I mean, that's how dumb I was at that point. Uh, uh, then on December 2nd, we got an email saying that they don't want to meet with us. And so then um, that opened up. The, the door to really do a lot more research and 
it started the I I knew my biblical responsibility was to face the person who sinned against us and they didn't want to. So that day on December 2nd, I sent a couple paragraphs to Newsmax and Fox and I sent complaints to the state agency who regulates doctors and the state agency who regulates hospitals. Uh, to my surprise, Newsmax contacted me a week later and I was on national television the week after that. And that started this whole process of now, you know, roughly 200 interviews already. Mm -hmm. So that's been a big deal. Then the other big deal was both of those investigations were done in, in uh, January and we received letters that cleared both the doctor and the hospital. So you could hardly believe it. Well, that, that's when I finally, it opened up my mind to everybody's in on this. The government is in on this. Yeah, that's the unfortunate part that we're learning that we're kind of all alone now that the, our own government is trying, waging war against us. Correct. I mean, even not just the protocols that they're following COVID, but even the shots themselves are part of this agenda to, you know, weed out part of the population. Uh, you know, so I've been kind of looking very closely at all that stuff from the very beginning. I know, I knew within the first two weeks that this was all genocidal stuff. And, uh, you know, I tried to reach out to an international court body that dealt with genocides. Of course, nobody is able to do anything, you know, so it's left to the individuals. Um, but individuals, if they're not aware, then they just think it's just, you know, because many of them, who took the shots and went through COVID, um, they weren't killed. So if they weren't killed, they can't see that the other people that are many are dying, you know, even the sudden death syndrome in adults, right. which is not, right? right? So, right. I mean, you think through the label, I mean, it, 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 but people, this is maybe, you know, the government being corrupt was the thing that shocked me the most. The second thing yeah. right behind that is how dumb our population is. So, you know, wouldn't just anybody with an IQ above 60, when they come up with sudden adult adult death syndrome, wouldn't you say, well, that isn't a disease? Yeah, exactly. Out, right? I mean, but our society is like, oh, yeah, that's, like, oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, they like labels. You know, as long as you put them in categories, they think it's all fine, as long as they get their jobs and stuff. But I think many people have paid their price, you know, to take the shot or keep the job. Or go to the hospital and risk your life. You know, these kinds of things are not going to go away because much of the population and the way the medical system has uh, put itself in its place is going to continue until more harm and people actually are going to have to take some action against it. So one of the things is, you know, as a Christian, and I constantly think about these things all the time. I don't know why, but I do. But one of the things that, you know, since we kind of live in this more evil society where everything is anything goes and you can't trust anybody because you're pretty much risking your life at this point because it's not just a medical industry it's just about in every place uh, i mean what do you think about having more christian-based businesses christian-based hospitals and staff that you know i would rather go if i'm going to get admitted to something i don't want i'm scared to death with these hospitals now because in everyday life, they've already told me that they don't care if I live or die. So Correct. why would I want to keep 
getting insurance through them and going through and allowing myself to be subjected to that when there should be more opportunities for Christians to start growing their own businesses and, you know, having a separate uh, economy almost to be able to choose, you know, like hospital care or whatever else, you know. So what do you think about that? Well, I, I, I know it's already happening, and I think it's a, certainly a fine thing. I mean, we've got to have a way to operate. Yeah. And so I think it's, I think it's a great thing. I don't, I don't think it's a, a real solution. It's a, it's a solution to live, which right. is great. But, you know, what I see as a lot bigger solution is to invest time becoming grounded. You know, yeah. I don't, you know, a whole bunch of people are trying to fight this in, um, via getting the right candidates in and things like that. I think that's a waste of time. I think that, you know, doing, you know, having, knowing who your friends are, you know, the Christian businesses, the alternative healthcare things, you know, there's a lot of that already. It's, it's rolling. You know, it takes a while to get that going, but there are ways now. I mean, I was just learned, we're getting some of these on Grace's website. So people are, are aware, but I mean, to get it so that, um, it's nationwide at your fingertips, like the alternative, you know, the, the evil system, it's not going to happen in a day, but I think it's a, it's certainly a a wise thing, but the, I think the better thing is that we're going to have an opportunity to share the gospel message. Like there's never been on earth because as things get exposed and people, you know, things are going to get substantially worse. We're at the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. You know, so when the food shortages hit, the financial system collapses, and then the Christians are the ones who are calm. Uh, people are going to be asking. You know, so we've we've got to be grounded in our faith and make sure that we don't get duped uh, to the safety and security that will ultimately be offered in exchange for our freedom when yeah. when this gets real bad. Yeah, I see that happening already with all the plans that they've done. Uh, it opened my eyes that they're ready to start separating those that want to go with the system and those that are working against the system that they're trying to implement. Um, but, you know, like we as believers, you know, God always said that in times of trouble, we should call out to him. You know, like the book of Joel, I keep bringing that up. But that's, to me, like you, you have to repent and call out to him and he can change this overnight. You know, like uh, the good people can rise up and all of a sudden if they make enough noise. And especially, you know, we're talking about evil, like you have to have law and order. If you don't have law and order, then all of this will continue just in about every corporation. So I, you know, if... We're not at that time yet where we're talking about the end time tribulation period. Then God can turn this around for another generation or more, you know, and have, and we just have to speak out. And that's why I, I do these interviews and I started the website as well um, just this year, it's just for a hope of, you know, spreading the message out to everywhere and having us connect and having another platform where we can all connect share our stories and you know what we're doing in our communities and i'm trying to do as much as that as possible but um going back to grace i did have a question you mentioned something that she's an adult and therefore uh you didn't have the right uh, you, you have to repeat that again I, I didn't sure. hear. so by state statute and this would be most states but i'm 
specifically talking about Wisconsin, generally when there's a lawsuit, the um, loss of companionship is the legal claim. Uh, that's a lot easier claim than medical malpractice because you know you lost your companion. So by definition, an adult, you can't have loss of companionship for an adult unless you're married to the uh, adult or you're a child of the adult. And so Grace was our child, but she was an adult legally because she was 19. And but so parents because of her disability, though, wouldn't that have changed the factor? Because she had to live with you, right? She wasn't independent. Well, it, it, that's logical. And if there was going to be, you know, it's pretty obvious the legislation doesn't account for what right. is going on here. But the legislation doesn't carve out disabled um, adults. It just is. It's a bright light test, 19, and it's over. Right. So, um, and, and, and not 19, 18, and it's over. But so Grace was, you know, she's over the threshold. And um, unfortunately, it's by state statute. There's nothing we can do about that. So is there any statistics in the hospital that um, did this of other deaths? Or are you aware of any other ones? that? I'm aware of many deaths in this hospital because people have reached out to us. We have a local billboard campaign, so we've gotten a number of people that have reached out to us about deaths of their loved ones. Uh, in general, they were elderly, so they have, you know, so we've, we've gotten several of those, but I don't have any statistics for the specific hospital. The statistics I have for the hospital are related to their capacity. Uh, what, where were they at on Grace's last day capacity-wise? And there's a, a slide I put together called The Love of Money that's on Grace's website under the Tragedy tab that has that all documented. But I don't have statistics on how many people they killed and, and what is the um, continuum of how those deaths fit with disabled, elder, elderly, et cetera. Uh, I'm going to share the website that you mentioned for your daughter. OurAmazingGrace.net. All right. All right. So if you go under the tragedy tab, oh. um, I want to show you. Uh, let's see here. Okay. So at the conclusion, the love of money, one hospital system exposed. So this is the slide I put together on Ascension Hospital System so people can see how much money they made just in the first year of COVID. And wow. so if you look at, they received federal bailout grants. So think about a bailout for a hospital. They got $1.8 billion. Yeah. $8.3 $8 billion in bonus payments for for putting people on remdesivir and ventilators. These are just bonus payments, folks. Yeah. So that's that's over that's over $10 billion just in the first year of COVID that this hospital system received. And then that's if you scroll so up to... That's crazy. That's like... Yeah, I mentioned earlier the remdesivir protocol was killing all those people and the intubation because, you know, you mentioned they were giving her intubation drugs and stuff. And that was right. a big part of it because it damages your lungs and eventually, you know, it collapses and all kinds of other issues. So, you know, like people, some doctors are talking about that. You know, they're vocal about the protocols killing patients and stuff but you know like this kind of numbers that you brought up eight billion i mean that those are astronomical so the the love of money is what's doing it the greed you know that they don't even care about people 
whatsoever. Um, is there anything else you want to uh, highlight on the website? Well, what I, of course, would like people to go to first is the things about grace. I mean, if you look at the About Grace tab, we have a whole bunch of videos. Well, we have pictures, and then if you look at videos, you know, this it's you know, you'll you'll fall in love with grace if you spend some time on this. It's it's neat. It's a neat website. Um, what we're doing today uh, is. The if you look at the tab called the Holocaust Connection, that's on the second row. Um, that's what we're working on today. So Vera Sheriff and I are doing joint interviews, and we've documented the Holocaust research there. Um, so that's that's a big deal. What we're working on today. So these are the pictures of your daughter. She looks yeah. very happy and oh, very polite. So she deer hunted with me. So she, you know, oh. she, like I said, she did everything. Yeah, that's so sad. Cause she she was living a full life with you guys. Right. Oh. Yeah, these pictures are. Yeah, they just. So they they just outright murdered her. Well, none of that was necessary. What would have been the protocol had they just treated her for low oxygen? Oh, that's you know that is so easy for me to discuss because I went into I think God did this on purpose so I could tell the story. I went into a different hospital three days after Grace died, and my symptoms of low oxygen were substantially worse. I, I needed oxygen just to survive. Where right. Grace, she didn't, she didn't wasn't in a stressful situation. She just had low numbers because we were monitoring it. I was right. down to eighty four percent. I could was having a hard time breathing, so my wife took me to the emergency room. We chose a different hospital in a different city, uh, St. Vincent's Hospital in Green Bay. So, you know, by God's grace, we got into that hospital. And to give you a perspective how different they they did things, um, the first night they asked, what would you like to have happen? I said, I don't want any alarms to go off and I don't want anybody checking on me. I'll buzz you if I need you. At the other hospital, the alarms were going off constantly and they would not stop it. They, I asked them to have the alarms ring at the nurse's station. They lied and said they couldn't. The reason I know they lied is because I went into a different hospital. And so then, Grace, they instantly ratcheted up the oxygen. They put her on a high flow cannula, a BiPAP. It was crazy. She didn't need any of that stuff. I stayed on a regular cannula. The first night, I just about died. My oxygen dropped into the low 70s because I had to go to the bathroom. I could hardly make it when I got back. I hook up the oxygen again. I'm down in the low 70s, so I buzz them. They come in, crank it up so that I could get stable again. Um, then the next morning, a nurse comes in, and this really will tell you how different the care was. Uh, she comes in with a little pill cup, and she said, I'd like to go through the pill regimen with you. And I said, well, what do you have in there? She said, I have a probiotic, a multivitamin, vitamin E, vitamin, um, vitamin, e, vitamin D, and fish oil. I said, you got to be kidding me. You guys don't, don't believe in that stuff. And she said, well, we do here. And at that point, I knew I was going to live. Then I got to meet the doctor. He's suggesting a protocol, and I started researching it, and it made sense. Then they got me on budesonide treatments. You know, so in 24 hours, I was turned around. I just about died, and I turned around. And then I'm, you know, I'm monitoring myself, and... They didn't want to release me, but I said, listen, I got to I gotta get home by my wife and daughter. We got to plan my other daughter's funeral. And, you know, and they agreed. They let me check myself out. 
I mean, it was all, it was just completely different. This hospital system that I went to, St. Vincent's, was not bought off by the government. They chose to follow the Hippocratic oath. It's what you think of when you think about a hospital. You got a doctor who cares about you, a staff that realizes you don't want to be there, but they care. Um, just but how do you know that early on when you, like now we are aware of some of this stuff. How do we know if one hospital versus the other is going to be a death camp? Like, is there well, a way? To I think that is one of the take-home messages. You know, every single person is going to end up in the hospital at some point in their life. Not everybody, yeah. but most people are. So you don't you don't vet the hospital in on the ambulance ride. You've right. got to vet your local hospitals ahead of time and find out. You know, so you know if you just think about you ask some critical questions. You know, what do you you know walk me through your process of of how you know patient care. What what does informed consent look like? Do you believe that the the jab is necessary. How do you view somebody who's not vaccinated? You know, these are all questions that yeah. need to be asked way in advance of taking an ambulance ride. And then you've got to make sure the most, absolutely by far and away, the most important thing is you have to have an advocate with you. And don't back down when they say we don't allow people on, you know, just don't take, you know, you're going to have your advocate with you in the room, and that advocate has to be a strong person. I'm a strong person, but I still didn't ask enough questions to save my daughter. So. Well, that's because, that's you know, we all have these blind spots because we want to trust and we want to love other people, so we naturally go towards that. But I think, you know, now once something happens, that's when you start to wake up. So it's unfortunate that it's now, but I think you're going to be a great advocate to try to get this out there and change eventually. You know, the more people watch you, they're going to be asking the same questions, hopefully. Well, um, that, but, that is our hope, no doubt about it. If you can help us in any way, that's fantastic. Well, I hope, yeah, I mean, whatever audience I have, they will definitely listen to you. Um, one of the questions I had was the COVID itself, um, you know, you all went in there saying that I have COVID because I have low blood oxygen levels. Um, what is like, what, how do you think that even happened? Like to have the low blood oxygen? You think that's actually like the COVID virus that, that they're claiming that's out there? Or I can't, I can't answer that with a hundred percent certainty. I did do a, some research on it. I'll just explain my research, but I don't know for sure. Uh, we did test Grace on October 1st with a home test and it tested positive. And why we tested her was we thought it was a cold. We had her on the frontline doctor's protocol regardless, but we were going to go to a wedding that day. And we just thought if it's really not a cold and it's COVID, we shouldn't go to the wedding. So we test her. She tests positive. We didn't think anything of it because we're on the frontline doctor's protocol. After I went into the hospital with symptoms identical to graces but worse um the doctor friend of ours who, who who we've been working with she had done some research and found out about dr chetty who's a south african doctor who has saved over eight thousand people and he was charting progress and what he found out is that if you have a genetic disposition to um, produce inflammation or or clotting um those tend to lead with or tend to result in low oxygen saturation if you have the delta variant 
I was diagnosed with heart disease about four years ago. I already knew that I have a propensity to clot. The heart disease showed my propensity to produce inflammation. So that lined up with Dr. Chetty's research. And when I applied that to Grace, she likely inherited those conditions from me, whereas my wife's symptoms were really worse than Grace's and mine, but she never went below 95% oxygen saturation. And what would have been the natural remedy knowing that to bring up the oxygen level? Or did it require medication and hospital? It, it absolutely did not require hospital. The It would have required oxygen, I believe. I mean, she may have been able to do this on her own. She was already had a CPAP in our research. We saw the CPAP was probably enough. You know, what it, you know, we, we, um, we, we're motivated by the fear of low oxygen. Yeah. So starting with that, that is not an emergency is another take-home message. It's a high priority, but it's not an emergency. If you perceive it as an emergency, you're going to do things that you wouldn't do if you just see it as a high priority. And you know, ultimately, that's why we would check Grace in the hospital. Anybody that has low oxygen now, I would tell them, you know, get a prescription for oxygen. You can buy oxygen generators online. You don't even need a prescription. Um, get a get a prescription for a steroid get on budesonide treatments and you're gonna you know i'm not a doctor but based on my experience now i would say that's going to walk you through very rarely do you need to go to the hospital what about ivermectin when you feel like you have that cold coming on or you know these types of symptoms but uh, when we were on ivermectin i think ivermectin had the research shows that it's uh it's a very logical um, fit for the crime, and so I would encourage it. I think that people should all have a reserve of ivermectin. Uh, get it ahead of time. Don't wait. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's, that's the key. Don't yeah, wait. I did that as well, and when there was any signs of like cold coming on, I took it, and it worked within an hour. You know, everything went away. So I think that's a pretty powerful drug, and that's why they are went against it because they didn't want the natural cures they didn't want drugs that actually work because if they did then they couldn't force the mandates um so right just going ahead of time how your biology works now i think it's the key to kind of cure as much as you can with natural stuff um including like one of the things i think juicing like because if you take the natural vegetable and fruit blood that would increase the oxygen because it goes cell to cell. So there are ways. It's just, you know, we're just so trusting now that it's very right. hard. And, right. you, mentioned, you know, the, the early on, you know, just to go my regular checkup and stuff, I am always leery because they always want to run certain tests to kind of pigeonhole me. And they did do a oxygen level test on me too long ago, uh, a couple years ago. And luckily nothing happened but now i'm always weary like if something was flagged they would immediately start putting you into protocols and man and putting it in that computer system this is what you have you know so it's kind of i don't i i i can't trust the medical system at all even with normal doctors so i'm glad you were able to talk about all that and that's why i wanted you on so yeah, is there I'm anything else that you want to share that you think it's important for everyone to know? 
Well, you know, the most important thing of all is your relationship with God. And if this story wakes you up to realize that, okay, I, I'm not... Uh, I'm not 100% sure about where I'm going. I mean, Jesus died, was buried, and rose again on the third day in order that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And that's the only thing that matters in the end. And yeah. then you have a, you have a rest um, that conquers the natural fear that you'd have of this. You know, we are all going to die, so that's not going to change. There should be no fear of what they're doing. You know, God's got this. Uh, the, every, the entire world is still under God's authority. He's got this. If we are in the tribulation, he's even got that. If we're not, then he's going to allow um, a revival. Fantastic. But we don't, we don't know. We don't know what his will is, but we can rest that. He's got every believer's best interest in in mind, and um, he's responsible for it. You know, grace. Uh, so when I look at Grace's death now, with God's sovereign will, you know, of course she's my best buddy. I don't, you know, she called me earthly dad. She oh. called my wife earthly mom. I mean, so she knew God, yeah. and you know, I'm convinced that God is using her death to bring me our family, and anybody who will hear closer to him. Yeah. And, um, so, I mean, I think people should prepare. I mean, obviously, we need to prepare, but we can't rely on those preparations. We rely on, Absolutely. We rely on the saving uh, grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, absolutely, God has all of this under control. And, you know, you'll see your daughter again restored. I mean, he promises that no more tears, no more pain, and wipe away all the tears. So, and restore, you know, new heaven, new earth. And in that new heaven, new earth, everything that you love and everyone that you love will be there with you. So, Grace is now with God. I mean, she did her job in her earthly mission. So, it's terrible, you know, that you lost her the way that you did. No one should have to go through that. And even she didn't have to go through that. That's just torture, you know, to have educated people do what they do. So I hope your story uh, goes worldwide and be able to make some changes because there's still people are stuck in the system that are dying right now and being intubated and doing all kinds of drugs. And they don't care at all, you know, what even one drug does, more or less these serious drugs. Um, but I do appreciate you coming on today uh, uh, this is going to kick me out so All right. appreciate thank everything you. and thank you scott thanks for having me bye, bye.